0: Friday night with your host Larry K. Welcome back to another episode of The Logic and Larry podcast. I am your host Larry Aluciato Crane here to guide you through the latest news and current events of the day. The theme tonight is law and lawlessness and why do we uphold the law, when do we uphold the law, how do we uphold the law. Is anybody above the law? Should anybody be forgiven for past discretions against the law? We will discuss it. By way of all the current events percolating through the stratosphere and the media narratives, we will explore it. Everything I say to you on this podcast is strictly my personal opinion. It in no way reflects upon the opinion of any other entity or any other person. This is me speaking to you as a private citizen, just Larry Crane. Not in any official capacity or professional capacity whatsoever, this is strictly my opinions as a private citizen. This is not legal advice, it's just me. And tonight on a glorious Thursday where the air is crisp and clean and fall has set in, I look out upon downtown Newark as the trains pull in and out of Penn Station within my view. I see the Passaic River with bridges across it. I see the Empire State Building, a scarlet red. I see Hudson Yards blinking in vivid color. I am back home in the Northeast after spending some time traveling the country. I had a wedding to attend in Jacksonville, Florida. So many many family members of mine reside in Florida, hence my Dolphins fandom, part of the reason but I can tell you I had an excellent time traversing the country from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to Cincinnati, Ohio, to Covington, Kentucky, to Knoxville, Tennessee, Atlanta, Georgia, Jacksonville, Florida, North Carolina, Richmond, Virginia, all the way back up to Newark, New Jersey, where I rest my head after a long journey. And I can tell you that this country is more complex There are more good people. There is so much to see. There are so many good and positive vibes out in this country, more so than the media would have you realize, more so than our political bubbles will have you understand. There is so much to behold in this great country of ours. We have salvation. We can get there. We can get there if we remain objective, if we remain intellectually honest. That is what matters. That is what the Logic and Larry family is all about. Objectivity, intellectual honesty. If we can continue to do that, we will be in a good position. And tonight we are gonna discuss the news internationally, domestically, and we are going to do it in an intellectually honest and objective way, and we are gonna carry that knowledge henceforth from this show and out into our respective communities and social circles and make sure we disseminate this show and our conversation amongst those closest to us because even if we can't influence on a macro scale we sure as hell will influence on a micro scale. I am so happy to be back with you guys live. It's been a little bit of a, a wait but you know I'm never leaving you. So here we are and here you are with me and I respect and appreciate your presence. Now, first, let's go to some international news. Let's talk about Ukraine. I will always touch on Ukraine, as I say, and reiterate every time we're on the show. Ukraine is the front lines of the Western society's defense against tyranny and lawlessness and unlawful invasion. Ladies and gentlemen, Vladimir Putin thought that he was going to invade Ukraine and that he was going to get away with it and that it wouldn't be that hard to do. But Vladimir Putin has been faced with the determination, the resilience, and the honor of the Ukrainian people and the Western world who has backed them up and financed them and supplied them with weapons. And anybody out there, I don't understand the narrative that we shouldn't be supplying Ukraine with weapons. I don't understand you. I don't hear you. I don't jive with you. Because the more we supply Ukraine with weapons and and money and the abilities to defend themselves, the more they are making us all proud. They are chasing Russia out of every province, starting with the center and pushing towards the east. Vladimir Putin has initiated a quasi-draft to get people to join the military. But it's backfiring on him. It's backfiring on him. Word is... Word is that Russians are fleeing en masse from this draft. Word is that some of the elites in Moscow are questioning Vladimir Putin's leadership because there have been several unorganized disheveled retreats of Russian troops from areas of Ukraine as they scramble to get out of harm's way as Ukraine presses on to recapture captured lands. In fact, two defectors from Russia, two people fleeing the Russian draft, landed in Alaska, did you know that? Did you know that individuals from Russia landed in Alaska this week? Within the last few days, they escaped Russia by boat just because they didn't want to fight in this nonsensical, illegal, unjust war. They didn't want to fight, so they fled to Alaska. They landed in Alaska, and they are now trying to defect to the United States and give us anything they can on Russia to become United States citizens and seek asylum and seek refuge in the United States. When Russia started this war, I started talking about it on this podcast and I said I would remain steadfast in reporting what was happening there and I said I would remain steadfast behind the Ukrainian people and I have and it has paid off for them not that I have anything to do with it because I don't but they are doing what they have to do and now we have people literally fleeing Russia to Alaska I wonder if Sarah Palin would still say she could see Russia from the shores but they landed literally in Alaska and they are seeking refuge. That's where we are with that war. Just absolutely fascinating how the tides have turned. People always underestimate the righteous. They always underestimate the righteous. They think that in the face of tyranny and in the face of brute power, the righteous will fall. But the righteous do not fall when they have justice and determination on their side. And the Ukrainian people are showing us that right now. So that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And by the way, Sean Political Action Bracken's coming on the show a little later. He's going to discuss the midterm elections with us, because we all want to know how that's going to go. There's a lot of variables, a lot of things going on right now that could affect the midterm elections. And the balance of power in this country is going to be very important for all kinds of things in term, you know, including international affairs. And in other international news, guys, you're going to have to unfortunately get ready to deal with. A spike in gas prices once again. Because unfortunately, OPEC, led by Saudi Arabia, has pledged to reduce oil production by 2 million barrels a day this winter. They say it's just a move because, you know, demand is going to decrease during the winter and they want to stabilize energy prices. But energy experts say that that's really not the case. Energy experts tell us that this is assuredly a politically driven move. That Saudi Arabia is trying to stick it to the United States and trying to stick it to the global market. There are rumors that Russia is a part of this. And Joe Biden, for his part, has pledged to release another 10 million barrels from the Strategic Oil Reserves to counteract the spike in gas prices. Make no mistake, Saudi Arabia is not our ally. They are self-serving individuals. They executed a journalist. They executed a journalist. And they knew what they were doing. And America refuses to hold them accountable. That's Trump, that's Biden. They refuse to hold them accountable because they think we should rely on them for energy prices. And what do they do? They turn around and they smack us in the face when we need it most. Just like they smacked us in the face with the 9-11 stuff, just like they continually smack the rights of women and other people in the face in their own country, Saudi Arabia is a frenemy. (laughs) If I can use a 21st century slang term, They are a frenemy. Saudi Arabia is not our friend. They are trying to put pressure on American citizens who already are struggling enough with inflation. Now they want to, the gas prices have just started to go down, by the way. And, you know, Biden's not happy because his approval rating has started to go up as gas prices have started to go down. So, of course, they had to counteract that. And of course, they had to raise gas prices now to cause this problem that we have. So get ready to deal with it. Biden is not happy about it whatsoever. And several entities that are charged with analyzing the energy market say that this is not a good move long term for Saudi Arabia. This will not be good for them long term. They can't sustain this lower demand rate. And, and th- now this is an interesting thing, too. The U.S. Congress, the United States Congress, the, the House and the Senate, has been trying to pass a bill that's dubbed NOPEC, because you know OPEC is what, you know, controls the oil prices coming out of the Middle East. NOPEC would treat them as antitrust entities that would be av- avail themselves to lawsuits in the United States for fixing prices illegally. And since they do business in the United States, some of these entities would be subject to these lawsuits, and this would cause problems for them. Now, Biden has been hostile to the idea of passing the NOPEC bill, but some see his silence on NOPEC after OPEC... Introduce this plan today as an indication that he may be willing to sign the bill that has already passed the Senate committee and may yet pass the full Senate and the full house and may give us a little bit of a counterattack to OPEC. Now, by the way, the United States has plenty of energy reserves. The United States has plenty of ability counteract these things because we can export more energy than we currently import we can do that we have the physical capacity to do it if we choose to do it we could put a strain on them and we could counteract the unilateral power that they have on global prices of oil and don't tempt us because we may do it and that may well be on the horizon that may well be on the horizon speaking of energy prices in the international world and international news The, an independent Swedish entity inspected the pipes that had been breached, that had been broken um, in the Nord Stream. Now if you don't know what's going on here, Europe receives obviously a ton of energy from Russia, but they receive a ton of energy amongst themselves. The European Union and these different countries in Europe regularly trade gas and oil and these other energy, you know, sources. Recently, pipes, the Nord Stream pipes in the water, were breached, broke, disrupting the pipeline of energy to several European countries. Now, it's long been suspected that Russia was behind this because Putin is struggling. Because, again, the theme for tonight is law and lawlessness, and Putin is a lawless individual. And karma is biting Putin in his ass. So... He apparently, there's been accusations that Russia was behind breaking the pipes to try to disrupt Europe's energy sources, to try to put pressure on Europe because Europe's putting so much pressure on Russia and Russia is getting its ass kicked by the Ukraine. Well, a Swedish entity that investigated the pipes today came out with a conclusion that the pipes show evidence of sabotage and that the sabotage very well may be and very likely could be the result of Russian interference. And Putin vehemently denies this, but the evidence is what it is. As Isaac Hayes comes playing on, I will tell you, Russia's in trouble. You can only run from the truth for so long, Putin. And now you've attacked pipelines, and the jig is up. We know what you did. We know what you did, brother. So now... Pivoting from international news to domestic news, speaking of lawlessness, I'm sad to report to you that there was a stabbing rampage in Las Vegas, Nevada today. On the Las Vegas Strip, there was a stabbing rampage near the Wynn Casino, which, by the way, the Wynn Casino is probably one of the most wealthy casinos in Vegas. It attracts some of the most wealthy people. I was there back in May. I was at the win in May, in Vegas, and an individual just went on a stabbing spree with a large steak knife, sadly, sadly eight people were affected, eight people were injured, out of those eight people, two of those eight have died, three of those eight are currently in critical condition. Now, of course, the pro-gun activists will always come out with stories like this and just arbitrarily say, see, what are you going to do, ban steak knives? Let's be honest. If this same crazy, unhinged individual had access to a rapidly firing firearm, he would have taken out many more than eight people. He would have killed many more than two people. He would have put many more than three people in critical condition. This is, if anything, is evidence as to why we need more restrictions on guns, not some anecdotal nonsense as to how gun restrictions don't do anything just because somebody could grab a knife if they needed to. But what I want to talk about, since the theme of tonight is lawlessness is that guys we've gotta stop with this idea and this notion that these unhinged crazy miscreants can just be unleashed on the streets and that our system does not have the capabilities to absorb them to lock them away at the end of the day not everybody who's got a mental illness obviously not everybody who's got a problem should be locked away not everybody who's a little bit been in trouble before should be locked away forever. Everybody deserves second chances. Everybody deserves to be heard out. Heard. But there are certain people in the society that should not be on the street, that should not be able to interact with other people because they are a danger. Regardless of why, regardless of how sorry we feel for them, they pose a violent risk to other everyday citizens and they need to be held accountable and taken out of society so that they cannot harm innocents anymore. And I am sick and tired of seeing innocents be harmed, shot, maimed, stabbed by people who shouldn't be allowed in our normal society they did catch the suspect in Nevada. they are going to hold him accountable but we've got to do something about the problem with mental illness unhinged violent individuals in our society roaming the streets roaming the streets looking for somebody to hurt i've had enough no more innocence being harmed we can do something about it it's time to stop being lazy, it's time to stop making excuses, it's time to stop feeling sorry for everybody who is a detriment to themselves and to everybody else. It's time to start holding people accountable because if we don't do it, the innocents are going to be the ones who suffer the consequences. Shooters, stabbers, whoever, let's stop it. Now, <laughs> Until something on a little bit of lighter note regarding crime. While I am an advocate, certainly, of locking up and holding accountable those who commit crimes, and I will get to that in a second as well, I also understand, and we should all understand, that certain crimes and certain things that were criminalized and the penalties for those criminalization of certain everyday behaviors have been unjust. And we need to make amends for those things. And this is a beautiful example of how democracy can and does still work, right? There's all this disenchantment in this country, all this disillusionment about our country, about how democracy works, about how the legislative process works, this disbelief, this distrust in our institutions. But if you look at one particular issue, I think it's really a prime example and kind of a beacon on a hill as to what we can aspire to and what democracy and legislative mechanisms can do for us.
1: I just don't know what
0: it is marijuana legislation. Marijuana legislation. Has anybody paid attention to the massive strides that we made? And this, the, file this under... I've been talking about this for a while. File this under Joe Biden once again accomplishing massive massive policy agenda items that have been on the shelf for 30 plus years. He did infrastructure. He got some movement on guns. He did things on climate change. I'm not saying Joe Biden's the best thing ever. I'm not singing his praises all day, but I'm just saying, despite the man's lack of an ability to market himself very well, add something else to what he's done. Federal policy on marijuana? Federal policy on marijuana the last few days has been drastically altered by the Biden administration. Drastically altered by the Biden administration. First, he came out yesterday and said that when you're seeking federal employment, past marijuana use will no longer be an impediment. It said that, of course, depending on the job your rehabilitation from using marijuana, your other you know, criminal indiscretions, of course, will be taken into consideration. But the simple fact of past and prior manner marijuana use in and of itself, in and of itself, will not deter you from getting a federal employment. That's a huge step because marijuana is still a federal crime. But today, it was even bigger news from the Biden administration. Today, the Biden administration announced that they were pardoning every federal defendant, every federal defendant currently with a record, currently serving time, or currently with a prior conviction, every single federal defendant who was convicted of simple possession of marijuana, simple possession of marijuana would be pardoned. And he was directing state agencies to analyze and find the cases of people who had used marijuana, been convicted of simple possession. This is not dealing marijuana. This is not distributing marijuana. This is just simple possession. Anybody who had simple possession of marijuana and was convicted would be pardoned by the federal government. That's just federal cases, not state cases. But this is a huge, huge step in the way of justice. The law was the law for many years, but it was an unjust law based on everybody's consumption of a common substance. Now, as you see, this is why I referenced the legislature, legislatively, legislatively, States have been slowly but surely legalizing marijuana first for medicinal purposes then for recreational use and as the states continue to move the needle in that respect the federal government will follow and you will see this take its course over probably several years but this will start to move the needle and probably in our lifetimes marijuana may be legal across the continental well across the entire United States In our lifetimes, it's a slow process, but democracy and legislation from the ground up, from the municipal level to the state level to the federal level, does work. It just takes time. Not everything needs to be achieved through the courts. Some things can be achieved through legislation and democracy at its root. And Rick brings up a good point in the chat. Rick asks, why not just federally legalize, but that's a good start? Well, to legalize it completely federally, I think they would need Congress to do that. And that's obviously going to be tough for obvious reasons. But to your point, Rick, another thing that Biden announced today, along with the pardons, is that Biden has instructed federal agencies to review marijuana's designation as a Schedule 1 narcotic. He has asked them and instructed them to review marijuana's designation as a Schedule 1 narcotic. They may well, administratively, which is kind of outside the realm of the legislature, they may be able to designate marijuana as, something more innocuous no longer a schedule one narcotic which is yet another step towards the decriminalization of marijuana on the federal level another step this is huge this is another huge accomplishment of the biden administration and i gotta be honest i like and this is the thing and i'm gonna get to my political persuasions and everything else later if you think i'm being biased because i'm not i'm being objective I love going to bed at night not hearing nonsense and petty garbage from the president on Twitter. And I love that when I wake up, actual legislative things are being discussed and pushed. And I love that when OPEC takes a shot at us, our administration is figuring out ways to counteract that and speaking out against it and dealing with things in an international level. I love that our federal government, that our president, that our administration is backing the Ukraine with weapons and funding. I love that I can sleep at night knowing that we have a competent man and a competent administration in office and quite frankly I wouldn't care if it was a Republican or a Democrat. It just so happens that this time it's a Democrat and that last time it was an incompetent Republican. I don't care who it is, I'm just happy that it's a thing. I'm just happy that it's actually happening. That's a beautifully comforting thing. It really truly is. In that vein, in that vein, did anybody see, this is another bipartisan encouraging thing I saw this week. President Biden went down to Florida and met with Ron DeSantis. Now, Ron DeSantis, if for argument's sake, we assume that Donald Trump is not going to be the candidate. Now, we don't know. As of right now, he's immensely popular in Republican circles. He's the front runner for the candidacy in 2024, Donald Trump. But if Donald Trump goes down, he's been taking a lot of hits lately. He's not as popular as he was. A lot of people are starting to open their eyes and be more objective and see the criminal he was. Ron DeSantis may well be the candidate for president for the Republicans. Now I don't know much about Ron DeSantis other than what I hear from the mainstream media and obviously from the mainstream media and from the political spectrum, both Trumpies and and liberals alike paint DeSantis as a Trump disciple, right? Because Trumpies want him to be a Trump disciple, they eat up what he does that's Trump-esque and Democrats and liberals hate him because they say he's a Trump disciple. But what I've read recently is that DeSantis may be more of an opportunistic individual, right? He may just be taking on Trumpism and Trumpist messaging because it's advantageous to him as a politician. And he may not actually be a dyed-in-the-wool Trumpy. One thing I can tell you from listening to him speak during the hurricane and hearing him discuss, you know, intricate governmental matters such as insurance issues with the hurricane and insurance policyholders and insurance reimbursement for homeowners. It seems like he has a better handle on actually governing. And this week, similar and, and kind of hearkening back to Chris Christie when Hurricane Sandy hit New Jersey. And Chris Christie, you know, accepted Obama when he came to New Jersey and treated him fairly and, and didn't play games, DeSantis this week didn't play games and DeSantis accepted Joe Biden into Florida with open arms for the funding, I just thought, regardless of what you think of DeSantis or regardless of what you think in general, it was a positive gesture in a positive direction. And that's a good thing for the country. Whether it lasts, whether it's something we're always going to see, remains to be seen. But it was a good gesture, and that happened this week as well. Anything bipartisan you know I love. Anything objective you know I love. At the end of the day at the end of the day I'm sorry for that those chimes I thought it was part of the song was my stupid phone so that's going to get in the recording it is what it is and we have a we have a much 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 unfortunately much smaller live audience than we really ever have I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because it's Thursday, because the football game's on. I don't know if it's because people just don't expect it to be on. But we have a very small audience. Nonetheless, hopefully you guys who listen to the recorded version get a lot out of this show. The recorded listeners are always greater than the live listeners. Hopefully, you know, we, we get some listeners on that. It's a little disappointing. You know, all the important stuff we discuss on this show... And all the important opinions that we discuss, it's disheartening that not enough people tune in. It really is. But that's life. That's the society we live in, right? With a lot of hypocrites, a lot of people that don't want to be objective, and just a lot of people that don't want to really listen to the truth. So it is what it is. Um, but in other news, let's talk about something that I find interesting concerning this law versus lawness, lawlessness stuff. Jeremy, Jeremy Bertino who is one of the leaders of the the Proud Boys, has recently pled guilty to sedition, and he faces up to 20 years in prison. He has agreed to cooperate with the government. He still has pled guilty. He wasn't even present on January 6th because he was injured from a prior riot, but he participated in text conversations with Tarrio and other individuals and Rhodes and other individuals who were charged with sedition about January 6 he is quoted as saying it's 1776 motherfucker and I quote he is one of the primary rabble-rousers and the primary people who are discussing the violence on January 6 he has said and he has testified that their plan was to thwart the certification of the free election and prevent the peaceful transfer of power. He is admitting to you that he wants to undermine and thwart our democracy. He has pled guilty. Now for anybody out there who is still contorting their view of the world, who is still contorting their perception of reality in order to fit their own narrative, who is still contorting their mind to convince themselves that Donald Trump and Trumpies were not trying to overthrow the election, that there was no wrongdoing, or that this was a false flag operation perpetrated by Antifa and liberals. This is a wake-up call. Eight Over 800 individuals have been charged with crimes related to January 6th, and some of the biggest Trump cheerleaders, some of the biggest you know, freedom fighters, as they call themselves, Some of the biggest ones. Have already admitted and pled guilty to sedition. That's treason. They have pled guilty and admitted in court publicly that they were acting as traitors on January 6th. Objectivity for the American people is of primary concern right now. If you are somebody out there who did not participate in January 6th, who doesn't know Trump personally, then there is no reason for you, and even if you knew him personally, there's no reason, but there's no reason for you to be finding ways to make excuses for these traitors. Objectively, intellectually, honestly, they went against the law and against the values of this country. And placating them just to satiate your own political persuasions and sentiments is a disgrace not only to the country, but to human thought in general. Stop it. Stop it. Because there's somebody on the other side of the spectrum, by the way. Somebody on the other side of the spectrum who also is set to be indicted. And that person is Hunter Biden. Ladies and gentlemen, whether you think I like President Biden and what he's doing, whether you think I lean progressive or I lean conservative, whatever it is, what do you think? I just hate Trump. Let me tell you something and let me be loud and clear. The evidence is stacking up against Hunter Biden. It was reported today by various media outlets. Various media outlets reported today that Hunter Biden is set to be indicted. He's very close to being invited. Very close to being indicted. Federal prosecutors have evidence and ample evidence against Hunter Biden, primarily for tax evasion. There is a lot of proof against Hunter Biden for tax evasion, and they are close to indicting him. And I say, bravo, go ahead and indict Hunter Biden. He's a criminal if this is true. He deserves to do his time. He deserves to be locked up. He deserves to be charged. He deserves to pay the penalty for his actions. And if President Biden is smart and if he wants to finally message properly as opposed to what he's been doing, he should simply say, I love my son. I will love him no matter what. But the fact is that nobody's above the law in this country. Nobody can thwart and evade the law. And even though I am president of the United States, The Justice Department, which operates under my appointees, which operates under my appointees, is still going to hold my son accountable for his criminal actions. In contrast to my predecessor, I will not try to evade or avoid that result. He should say it. Will he say it? I don't know. He should. And Jr. points out what politician is not evading taxes. Fair point. But I don't even know if Hunter's a politician. Hunter's just running ramp and causing trouble, apparently. So I say if Hunter is doing what they say he's doing... Charge Hunter, indict Hunter, lock Hunter up. I'm fine with it. I don't have any. I don't know the Bidens. I don't know Hunter Biden, even if I like the job that Biden's doing to some extent. I don't know the dude personally. I don't owe him any personal sentiment. I don't owe him arguments and advocacy on you know social media just because I kind of dig some of his policies. I don't owe him anything. Let's be intellectually honest no matter what happens. Anybody who's a disgrace to this country, anybody who breaks the law, anybody who's a hypocrite, we can all collectively go against. We can all take a stand against. And if Hunter Biden is guilty of this stuff, should be charged, indicted, and pay the price. And we have a great opportunity to do that. Just like with Jeremy Bertino, who was... A main catalyst of January 6th? Do the same thing to Hunter Biden. Anybody breaking the law, anybody running rampant needs to be held accountable. Because if we live in our own separate realities, and unfortunately it seems like we sometimes do, we live in these separate realities in this country where the rules only apply against your enemy but they don't apply to your friend where objective measures of decency, objective measures of merit, objective measures of success are constantly in flux and constantly in question because we can't agree on any objective basis of anything. And if we're in that space then we are really just in free fall in a vacuum because if there's no common ground it's like playing a sport where there's literally no rules and no objective and no scoring mechanisms because nobody agrees on the parameters of the game and if that's the case then it's nothing but pure chaos. So I read an article earlier earlier today where liberals want to eliminate grading systems because they're saying they want to eradicate inequalities in grading. And if people turn their papers in late or they don't do a good job or they slack off, it's probably just the result of some inequality or some cultural issue. Therefore, they shouldn't be held accountable and they should not be demerited or should not finish below individuals who are performing better. That's the kind of nonsense I'm talking about. You have completely taken objective measures of success out of a given entity, a, a given parameter, and it's causing chaos. And, I, and another thing, I bring this up because I can sit here and say, whether I'm a fan of the Biden administration or not, that Hunter Biden should be held accountable. I can also say that Donald Trump and the January 6th insurrectionist should be held accountable. I don't have any problem because I don't have to create an alternate reality and an alternate universe to suit my you know, emotional affliction to one side or the other. I don't care. And what we're seeing, interestingly, in this Senate race, which Sean Bracken's gonna be on very soon to discuss the midterms and where things stand, this Herschel Walker news, has anybody been following this Herschel Walker news lately? Herschel Walker, the Senate candidate in Georgia, who's going up against Warnock. Warnock won, if you recall, in uh, in 2020. But it's long been known that Warnock's going to face a challenge because he's only he was only in for two years. And Georgia has been traditionally a red state, and we're going to talk to Sean about it very soon. Georgia has traditionally been a red state. It is what it is. And Herschel Walker, this is just another example. you know. Herschel Walker is a former football player who obviously has great name recognition. Just like Trump had great name recognition, just like what's the guy in Alabama, Tommy Tuberville, a football coach. My buddy Elliot Fant the other day posted was something really interesting. Elliot Fant, he's been on the show. Good, good friend of the show. Great poet. Great Newark guy. He, he posted that this society puts way too much stock in celebrities and, and entertainers. Just because we like their music or the way they play sports or the way they do something, we we expect them to be these respectable, all-knowing, you know, genius individuals that could do any job in the world, not just the job that they're good at, which is entertaining. And Herschel Walker is a good example. He was selected to be the Republican candidate for Senate in Georgia. I think primarily because he was an African-American man Republicans thought they could therefore eat into Warnock's vote because Warnock is an African-American man. And that if a black man ran for Senate, that he would get some of the votes just by virtue of that. And that his name recognition would catapult him to a U.S. Senate seat. But that was completely ignoring the fact, completely ignoring the fact that Herschel Walker... (laughs) is simply not qualified to be a U.S. Senator. He's not informed enough. You can hear him talk. He even admitted, I don't want to debate this guy, and if I debate this guy, he's going to kick my ass because I'm not that bright. I admire him for being honest, but if you're not that bright, then maybe Senator is not the job for you. It's okay, right? Like, I'm not good at math. I think I'm kind of an intelligent individual, but I'm stupid in math. I'm dumb in physics. I'm I'm dumb. I wish I could understand physics because it fascinates me, because it it goes to the very heart of what existence is and what the nature of the universe is, but I don't understand it. I try to read it and my brain starts, my head starts to hurt. I can't deal with it. So I would be the first to tell you if you wanted me to be appointed to some board on physics... That while I'm flattered, I don't think I can do the job because I'm not qualified. I'm not equipped to do that job. And it's okay if Herschel Walker said, you know, this really isn't for me, this whole Senate thing. And it's okay if people on the Republican side of the aisle said, look, I know Trump endorsed him. I know he's got a name. I know we think he's formidable against Warnock because of his race. But we're going to go a different route because this guy just doesn't have. It's okay to, to have some objective semblance of reality that we can all rely on and now it's come out that walker who by the way has children that apparently he never cared for that he doesn't pay attention to that he hasn't supported a news story broke yesterday that mr walker who by the way is against abortion even in cases of rape or incest he is against abortion it has come out that the mother of one of his children had an abortion and that he paid for it. Now I wouldn't be quick to believe that in most circumstances, but it has been reported that she has produced a receipt for the abortion and a get-well card that corresponds with the abortion time of the time of the abortion from Herschel Walker. And Herschel Walker has already admitted that this woman is the mother of another child of his and he has already admitted that he has not had contact with this other child and has not taken care of this other child. But yet this is the individual that conservatives in Georgia and around the country are saying is a righteous conservative person with Christian values. This is where you lose me. This is where if we can't agree on objective grounds for judgment, we are in free fall and in complete chaos. If you're going to be a Christian and you're going to vote based on Christian values, then that's fine. We can say that Christian values are the objective standard and that liberals or non-religious people don't think Christian values should drive a campaign. And Republicans, conservatives do think Christian values should drive a campaign. That's fine. That's an objective standard, which is Christianity and Christian values, and then objective disagreements as to whether or not those values should govern a candidate. That's intellectually honest. But if we are going to say that Christian values are the standard, are the objective standard, and then have an individual who is a complete hypocrite, a complete liar, contradicts the same Christian values that he espouses in public and is running on... And then when he does it, you hear people on right wing media saying, I don't care if he aborted baby Eagles. I just want the Senate seat. Now you are completely destroying all credibility, all intellectual honesty, all objectivity, and you are putting us in free fall. And we have no standard to abide by. I don't care if you're a devout Christian, but don't support somebody who's not a devout Christian based on devout Christian values because you look silly and you're destroying the fabric that we all need to operate in in order to have some trust that the society has some semblance of a parameter of rules. We can disagree, we can compete, we can fight within the ring. But don't tear the ring down and put us in free free fall in a black hole because that's when society starts to crumble at its root. And that's why I'm talking about lawlessness today. That's why I'm talking about lawlessness today. Lawlessness does not just apply to statutory law. Lawlessness also applies to the social contract. To the table that the, the figurative table that we all sit at when we have debates, when we have discussions, there's a figurative table in the middle, and it has to be based on some parameters and some agreed upon objectivity. If there's a law against corruption, and if Trump violated it or January 6th insurrectionists violated it and Hunter Biden did, then they both need to be held to the same standard. If the, if the, Judge thing we're judging it on, the parameter, is Christianity and Herschel Walker has gone against it. If it is family values and Herschel Walker has gone against it, if it is intelligence and, and, you know, aptitude at governing and understanding complex issues and Herschel Walker can't do it, then we shouldn't be supporting Herschel Walker. We should agree upon the parameters before we put them forth. And the same thing goes for Trump and Trump never had the parameters. So people should, even if you liked him at first, gave him a chance, you should admit now, wow, the guy looks like a crook. It is what it is. If you supported Herschel Walker, you don't have to vote for Warnock, but you can certainly at least admit that Herschel Walker might have been a mistake. Let's be honest with each other because guys, guess what? We don't owe anything to these people. We don't owe anything to these politicians. We only owe anything to each other. We only owe anything to ourselves and our society. That's all we owe anything to. We don't owe these people a damn thing just because we watch the channel that they're on or we have something in common with their political beliefs. If they're corrupt, if they're hypocrites, if they're wrong, we should call them out. We don't owe them a damn thing. If your neighbor is a liberal and you are a conservative, or you're a conservative and your neighbor is a liberal, or if you're a liberal and your neighbors a conservative, and you see them every day and you share a lawn and you share school systems and your children take the bus together, then you owe your neighbor much more, and your neighbor owes you much more than either of you owe any of these abstract politicians and any of these nonsensical media narratives that are somewhere out in space. If there's a criminal down the street, you don't owe him anything just because your political persuasion says you disagree with law enforcement. A criminal's a criminal. Hold him accountable. If you're pro-law enforcement and the cop's a criminal, you don't owe the cop a damn thing. Hold the cop accountable. He's a criminal. We can agree on basic parameters. We need to. The news stories out there today show us that there are basic parameters that can be adhered to, and we can enforce them, and we can agree to hold bad people accountable for what they do. And I know most of us, not all of us, because some are pushing this odd narrative that we shouldn't be assisting Ukraine, most of us agree that we should back Ukraine against Putin because Putin is somebody who's not a good person, should be held accountable for what he's doing. Let's have more of getting behind accomplishments, failures, people breaking the law, people upholding the law. Let's get back into a social contract about what's lawful and what's lawless. Let's establish a common ground that we can judge people on from then forth, and also that we can argue about. We can have a common objective parameter and fight like hell about it, as long as the parameter doesn't change, so that we know at least what we're operating on, so that the ground is solid, not an endless black hole. Because if we're in an endless black hole, the society is doomed. It's doomed. That's what I'll say about that. (laughs) Sorry for my my wild rant. And Harry Johnson, he says, marijuana is not a narcotic, it is THC. Yes, THC, the derivative of marijuana, is the actual narcotic. If you were to get CBD, as we've seen across the country, to skirt laws and et cetera, CBD or other aspects of marijuana are not the actual narcotic in question. Nonetheless, the White House has instructed its agencies to review THC, marijuana, whatever you want to call it, however they define it. They may define it as marijuana, even though THC is the... Uh, actual chemical compound in question nonetheless they've been instructed to review marijuana slash THC's designation as a schedule one narcotic and to perhaps take marijuana off of schedule one as a narcotic which again I think is again a step forward why because as a society we have agreed on a parameter we have agreed and it's starting to become more and more mainstream, we are reaching a a loose consensus in this country that marijuana should not be illegal. Just like we reached the consensus with alcohol and prohibition ended, we are reaching it amongst ourselves organically naturally because no matter what side of the aisle you sit on, whether you are a Republican, whether you are a Democrat, whether you're conservative, whether you are liberal, many people, Public opinion has been showing many people support marijuana being legal, so it's organically happening. You don't have to thwart it. And you're seeing that, by the way, not to go back to an old subject, even though it's not old, it's still prevalent, the abortion discussion, you're seeing that the majority of people think abortion should be legal. So even though the Supreme Court passed the ruling that they did, several states, even South Carolina, even some in the Bible Belt, several states are still not able to pass complete bans on abortion because the people themselves don't want it. And the last news story I will touch on is this court case regarding Alabama and gerrymandering that's at the Supreme Court right now. Many people fear that this Supreme Court is going to completely gut the Voting Rights Act, which would be a travesty. It was so hard to get us up to the Voting Rights Act, and for this court to gut it would be an absolute step backwards, but this is who we're dealing with. It seems like certain members of the Supreme Court, not everybody, certain members of the Supreme Court want to live in this vacuum that I discussed. want to live in this black hole. They don't want there to be a floor. They don't want there to be any agreed upon parameter that we operate on. They want to be able to just willy-nilly go out there and find some arbitrary and abstract way to gut things that we've relied upon as a society and completely turn it on its head. And I will tell you this, the Supreme Court, and not just this iteration of the Supreme Court, but the Supreme Court for many iterations, for many generations, has been absolutely cowardly in terms of their jurisprudence and the precedents that are out there absolutely cowardly in terms of tackling gerrymandering. They have defined gerrymandering as a political issue that they won't touch. I vehemently disagree with that position, and it's not a position that's simply a conservative one or simply the position of this court. It's a position that's been going on through several iterations of the Supreme Court, and it's not a good one. The Supreme Court is there to put a check on certain legislative populist issues that could infringe upon the rights of the minorities. And minorities could be different in every state, right? In one state, progressives could be a minority. In another state, Republicans could be a minority. In one area, white people could be a minority. In another area, black people could be a minority. It could be, it could change. They're supposed to put a check on the oppression of the minority. And gerrymandering by the ruling class in a given state or jurisdiction is the very definition of oppression. I think, as I've said, why do we have a court? Why do we have laws that the majority of people don't agree with? Why do we have abortion bans when the majority of the people don't agree with it? Why do we have, you know, marijuana as a schedule one narcotic federally when the majority of americans don't agree with it why do we have these things why are we constantly fighting why does a a moderate democrat feel he has nowhere to go voting wise why does a moderate republican feel chastised and, and excluded and completely marginalized by his own party when he stands up for objective tyranny objective treason why is he marginalized and cast out well the reason is because of these gerrymandering And these artificial mechanisms that the right has put in place in this country to stay in power and stay relevant when the natural trajectory and the organic evolution of our political society has rendered them moot, has rendered them the party of yesterday. They cling to power artificially, which then herds everybody else into corners that they can't escape from, including moderate Democrats, moderate Republicans. It gives the far left more power because there's no consolidated moderate party to go against them. Because the right is artificially holding on to power by way of gerrymandering, by way of packing the court, all these other artificial means that don't correspond to the majority will of the people. As opposed to what's going on with marijuana right this has to be solved this has to be fixed and the way the Supreme Court is looking at it right now the way the Supreme Court is is angling to tackle the Voting Rights Act now is a real problem because it can lead to just more of this nonsense more artificial power And I'm not saying conservatism in general is dead, I'm not saying that, there is certainly a place for conservatism, but there's certain conservative aspects, I think, out there that many people who currently vote on the left or vote on the moderate side of things would be amenable to. But this old stuff that's been long settled societally is still clinging to power because of the artificial mechanisms put in place, and it's putting a strain and a squeeze on everybody, which is causing, I think, a lot of our problems. Sean, political action, bracken my man. What's going on, bro? Hello,
1: Larry. How are you today?
0: I'm doing pretty damn good, Sean. Especially got you on the phone. The cast is going well. I got a lot of things out of my system with my preachiness over here. I'm doing good.
1: Oh, yeah, good. I heard a lot of that and, and did a very good job.
0: Thank you, sir. And by the way, I was in your neck of the woods uh, last week because I was driving through Pittsburgh to get down to Cincinnati to then get down all the way to Florida. You know, I've been there before, but beautiful area, man. Beautiful. And I'm going to visit next year, so we might have to link up, man. Great area. Nice and cool and crisp. Very autumny right now.
1: It is, yeah. It's, it's great time of year in, in the area. And we will have to do that. Um, you told me you were, you were there, what did you say, last week.
0: Yeah, last week because I was just driving through, I kind of stopped over right outside Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, went to sleep, got up in the morning, had to head to Ohio. But next summer, I'm actually planning kind of, a, I think, an Amtrak trip through Pittsburgh, Chicago, St. Louis to Dallas. So when I stop in Pittsburgh, we got to make sure we link up, man, and, and have a drink and talk some talk about life. You know?
1: Right. We we should. I I definitely agree with that.
0: Yeah. So that's that's in the plans, and that'll be after these midterms, obviously. So let's, I mean, let look, let's dive into it. I, I kind of, as you go state by state, want to address some of the scandals we've seen, like in Pennsylvania and Georgia. But you you take it from the top. You've been looking at this stuff. What what are the pivotal states? Are they the same as last time? What are we seeing? Just, I'm sure you already kind of have a way you want to approach this conversation. Just go ahead and, and take the lead here, and, and I'll kind of ask questions as they pop up.
1: All right. Well, I mean, how I kind of listed it, um, this, this time around is I kind of like, Put a few like I just kind of like threw a couple of categories out there, and I said like some of the candidates that should be feeling good right now of where they stand, right. And some of the candidates that should be worried because this is really this is really quite a year, if I should say so, uh, for when it comes to this midterm election, mm-hmm. because everything that that historically has been. When it comes to midterm elections this election just is not for example a lot of the midterm elections are based off of the president's approval rating right and the president's approval rating right now is about like 45 45 percent in most of the polls and he is still underwater but the generic ballot is basically a dead heat it's basically tied I think the Real Clear Politics average is 0.4 um, percent for the Republicans, but 0.4 in the grand scheme of things really isn't anything. Right. It's, base- it's basically a tie, and, and it's kind of a it's kind of a shock because again because of the way again because the president is underwater, he has similar approval ratings to. To, to President Obama when he got um, his midterm defeat. Yeah, exactly. shellacked <laughs> in in terms of what he said, and then even in Donald Trump, um, he's probably about a point or two above him. But it, again, it's like very marginal in in terms. So it's really it's really quite interesting to see just just how close. this this scenario ballot is, so I end up putting, like, two categories out there. Candidates that should feel good and Mm -hmm. candidates that should be worried. And obviously, like, candidates feeling good right now. I mean, if you're Warnock, I mean, I agree, like, you should probably be feeling good about your standing after the Herschel Walker scandals came out and really kind of blew that race really for a loop. Um, so, Sean, let me Mark ask you, a,
0: before go you go on, let me ask you a question, too, kind of about what you said and then the the Walker thing. So, A, you're referencing a generic ballot. Are, are we seeing any common thread throughout all the races that we can attribute to any kind of general sentiment, like nationally, about Biden or the parties or anything? Or is this a generic ballot that's just existing because of individual candidates in individual states and it's kind of just... Resulting in Democrats having a leg up because of the individual candidates. I mean, why do we see that discrepancy? Do we know?
1: Well, that's that's a really good point. I think I think you touched upon it. I think a lot of it. I mean, it's not. I think. Well, first of all, like I said, I keep going back to Roe, kind of like really
0: energizing the
1: Democratic Party. I, I definitely think that there's some of that going on, or at least it's shown up in a lot of these polling. Yeah, coming up with the generic ballot. Um, but also too. I mean, I like you. You hit on it, like like the candidates, mm-hmm. especially like for the Senate. You know, mm-hmm. less so for the House. I mean, there's a lot more races, mm-hmm. and I don't even know all the races that are going on in the House because there's like 435 <laughs> yes. or whatever. It's just like, <laughs> but in the Senate, like they're glaringly. Like, it's it's glaringly showing kind of, like, the candidate quality. Right. I think there is a lot to be said about that because Herschel Walker, prime example of of probably a poor candidate choice. And you see when these scandals come out, I mean, you start to see what's what's happened. And, I mean, it it kind of strikes me, too. I mean, it's going to be, like... you you kind of see it, I mean, coming in Georgia, too, and you, when, especially when Herschel Walker says about debating, I'm not that smart. Right. I mean, that kind of just says that that's probably not a great candidate, and it's probably a candidate that's not going to win.
0: And and let me, I mean, and let me, and not to interrupt again, but let me ask you this, too, about Walker. Now, I know it's I know it only recently happened with the scandal, but are we seeing that reflected in the polls? Like when he makes those statements, you know, I'm not that smart. And when he, when this scandal breaks, have we seen, you know, a relation to the polling when those scandals hit that indicate that it is hurting him?
1: Well, as for the abortion scandal, I mean, I think, uh, I think a, a couple of polls, I have to look back into it, but I, like the one poll has had, Warnock up by twelve points, which was I think a local mm-hmm. a poll. I think a lot of it was taken before like the scandal broke. I think there was only one day like after the scandal broke where, where the polling took effect. But another poll I think was taken like mostly like kind of in response to after the scandal. Right. And and it was showed sure, a closer race but it but the, it's Interesting the note that that poll leans more conservative. So, I, uh, the insider advantage poll, which had it like closer to three. So, like, I mean, if you take it, it's probably a, a six point race, I would say, in Georgia, wow. uh, just based off of. And I do think that, that this is post scandal. I think that Warnock has a pretty healthy lead there. And I do think that it's a scandal, and it's just. Herschel Walker's remarks about debating and and just how he's handling the scandal, and then you know his son Christian Walker out there, right? Just just kind of like contradicting everything Herschel Walker is trying to say, to the, to basically say he's he didn't do this. So I mean, it it, it, it basically looks like a dumpster fire campaign in general. <laughs> right. Right. And. <laughs> I mean, and it's just it's going up in flames. And if you're Warnock, I mean, you couldn't have picked a better candidate to run against. Like this, I mean, it's just like this is like an early Christmas gift just <laughs> just gift wrapped to him. Right. Because every single like it seems like every single month there's like something else on this candidate, and it's just I mean it's hurting. I mean, especially in Georgia, it's hurting the Republican Party, and I definitely think. When people like that are out there, like it probably hurts the Republican Party as much as Roe, um, the Roe decision did. Right. Because these candidates are just are, are just. I mean. I mean, I'm supposed to be objective about this, but, I mean, a lot of these Republican
0: candidates are awful. Right. They're just and not George right.
1: Walker is kind of, like, it's kind of like the epitome of
0: it. And, and that's, obje- that's you can be objective and still say objectively these people are awful like candidates. I mean, you know, that might be an objective analysis. So go where you were going. I know you touched on Walker already. Where were you going after that before I interrupted you?
1: Well, and, and, and here's another example of a very poor candidate. Um, in Arizona, um, Blake Masters. So if you're if you're a uh, Mark Kelly, you have to feel good about that race. Mm-hmm. And just today, there was a poll that came out by CNN that had it as a six point Mark Kelly lead. And and it's probably again about three to six points CBS. It was closer to three. Um, it probably will finish around three to four points because. There is still a lot of Republicans in Arizona. Right. So the state has changed. But I mean, so that race has kinda of gone like I said, towards Mark Kelly's direction. Although I am kind of interested about the governor race there. There seems to be a big polling discrepancy between um, between Kelly and Hobbs. Both of the Democrats running statewide. It seems like the governor race is basically a dead heat where, you know, where you have Mark Kelly kind of ahead. So, like, I'm wondering about that because from my reading about that race, both Republican candidates are very similar.
0: I was going to ask that. That was my next question. Like are they different candidates if they're similar? That's really weird. Is there something else that sets them apart because I was going to ask like is is the governor more moderate? Is it, it's weird if they're similar. Do you see any reason why there would be a discrepancy?
1: I'm not I'm not sure. Like the only thing I can maybe think of is kind of like the 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 mystique around Mark Kelly. And maybe that's maybe mm. Mark Kelly's a stronger candidate than we than we give him credit for. Right. Just because like he's an astronaut mm-hmm. and like he's obviously oh, Gabby Gifford's husband. So like you you wonder about that. But at the same time, like I mean, I feel like Arizona is winnable if they ran a better Republican and instead they chose Blake Masters is kind of out there and it's just another candidate that just really I think hurt the
0: Republican Party. Yeah, and, and Rick from Phoenix, by the way, is co-signing you. He's saying he's saying Masters will not, in big letters, win there. He will not. And he was the guy saying in the Senate race and the presidential race back, you know, a couple years ago too from Phoenix, kind of agreeing with you and saying, you know, who would win? And he's saying Masters will not win. I mean he's got his head on the pulse, so I think you do too, Sean. Seems like Masters is just a bad candidate and then Arizonians are not not that silly. Like they're just not gonna go for these bat, bat shit. Excuse my language. Candidates. Yes. People just aren't buying it.
1: They're not. It's just again, like I'm wondering about like Carrie Lake and why like she's performing better. So mm-hmm. maybe we can ask that to Rick because like he does live there. Um, why he's why she's performing better. But I mean, the CNN poll had her trailing by three points today. Right. So I wonder. I mean if that's the start of something there or, right. if, it's, or if it's just kinda of like a blip right. and 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 CNN sampled a heavier democratic sample, I'm not sure, but I mean that's that'd be my only question is that governor race like I mean not to get too much off the subject of the
0: Congress, but Well it's still like, fascinating. Yeah. Kind of, yeah, because we're trying to find out yeah, we're trying to figure out why there's a discrepancy in general between, you know, the presidential approval rating and everything else. So I think it's worth delving into that when we can. I'm Rick is saying that, let's see what he says here, he says, Masters throws down against the military, wants to privatize social security. Then he says, I know a bunch of hardcore Republicans, all of them say will not be voting for anyone who is an election denier. So maybe there's just Republicans who just don't, they're done with the election denial. Maybe that's part of it. Rick says he knows a bunch of them, Republicans who just will not vote for anyone who's an election denier. Like maybe it's not as much support for the Democrats, Sean, as just not supporting People are maybe fatigued by this whole election denial nonsense. Maybe they they see through it. I don't know. Maybe they do. Maybe the mainstream Republican, as conservative as you are, just sees through it. Maybe that is a common thread throughout all these candidates. What do you think of that?
1: Uh, It's very possible, and I mean, it's just. I mean, again, just. It, it, I think that it's just part of the package as to, like, the, just the candidate. I mean, right. in general, that the Republicans are selecting, because a lot of these Republicans that are being picked, I mean, they're denying the election, and that's part of the package that they're presiding to, to their voters. And in the case of, of Blake Masters and even Herschel Walker, like, I mean, these candidates, I mean, this is part of their package. And just take, take and just in general, far-right positions that are in, in states where it's pretty purple. I mean, Arizona and Georgia, probably the closest states of 2020. I mean, these are very close states. And right, right. and when you run far-right candidates, I mean, this is what's going to happen. They, you're you're going to be in trouble. And especially in the case of Georgia, when you run hypocrites, right that, that's gonna really I mean that's gonna really tarnish the party yeah that's what we're seeing in both, both of those states um, there is one candidate on the Republican side that should feel good today okay um, and that's Ron Johnson of uh-huh. um, Wisconsin I definitely think that rates has shifted okay and I actually put it as a lean Republican state now um, there's just so much polling that came out in the last couple of weeks there in Wisconsin where it, it's really gone to the Republican side. Um, I mean, Ron Johnson is an incumbent um, Republican. He's not like Herschel Walker or, or Blake Masters or any of these kids. Right. So, like, I mean, if you're – he, he's run a pretty smart race. The Republican Party kind of came in there and started running ads on his opponent about crime and it seems like that the crime issue is is helping the Republican Party up there um, in Wisconsin and, and it's kind of shifted that state
0: Yeah, I get it. I get the crime issue. The right. Yeah, I think the crime issue can definitely hurt Democrats depending on who the Democrats select. So, so, Ron Johnson's feeling good you're saying in Wisconsin and Sean... That's an incumbent. Uh, Arizona is an incumbent Democrat. Georgia is an incumbent Democrat. Where are we seeing the crux of this battle here? Who are the people that are going to change the balance? Like, what are you seeing with those with those states? Well,
1: I mean, well, when it comes to like that, if you're talking about the Senate, like it's it come down to I've moved the, the map a little bit. I mean, I still have Georgia as a toss up just because, like, right? I mean, it's Georgia. <laughs> I mean, I have nevada as basically dead even mm. although the polls show republicans ahead a couple of points but i also take into account that that they do oversample the republican um candidates there so i think nevada is basically a dead even state i think it's probably our closest state okay of 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 the senate map right now then i heard my state in of pennsylvania in there that race is really shifted as well um i can tell you that that um fetterman still leads in the polls okay here um i do think he is slightly ahead um by a couple of points but this race is kind of you could feel like the momentum like start to go towards dr oz which is kind of weird because I mean, he has a lot of baggage
0: Yeah. Let me ask you this, too. And I remember, I know that, you know, the the rumors, Dr. Oz is from Jersey, but he reclassified. I heard your governor, the governor candidate, same thing. And then, you know, Oz has this this dog scandal, which I I was supposed to talk about on my monologue. I didn't. We could talk about it a little bit. But why? You know, because I only vaguely and I mostly honestly, Sean, follow it through you. What's going on with with this Fetterman Oz race? Why is it shifted? What happened here?
1: Well, I, I mean, again, like the Republican Party came into Pennsylvania, flooded, flooded the race, a lot of the outside groups, and just like in Wisconsin, made crime an issue. And basically, his client John Fetterman, well, I mean, obviously with his hoodies, like he wears hoodies, and he has shoes. Right,
0: tattoos. yep.
1: So like, they tied him to kind of like like crime. Right. And, and he's done a pretty successful job. Mm-hmm. and painting him as this, as this radical, soft-on-crime right figure. And Fetterman has not had a great response to it, mm-hmm. and therefore, like, you start to see the polls narrow up. Uh, but then, I mean, just recently, this dog scandal broke, so I mean, I'd be curious to see it. It's not gaining as much traction as the Herschel Walker story, but, I mean, there are some people that have covered it, so you wonder if I mean we're, we'll see if that shifts the race. But then, but then there was a story that came out today. Um, uh, John Fetterman's um, attendance record as lieutenant governor is something to be desired. So that might kind of all come out in the wash. Right. In in this race and kind of like cancel each other out. Right. So kind of back to square one. And and I mean it's just hard to tell when. The, there, there was a poll that came out this week by USA Today that kind of has it up to a six-point race for Fetterman, but I think it's closer to, to about four points, three points. So it's definitely narrowed up enough to where I consider it one of my tossed up states. Wow. And, like, I have made that move to move Pennsylvania there. So, I, I mean, I think it is my state. I think it's Nevada. I think Nevada's there.
0: So let me ask you this, too. Yeah, so Nevada and Pennsylvania are close. And and, and it's funny because even just Georgia. me ob- observing – yeah, Georgia. Me at observing, you know, Fetterman, I get it. And, and I is – number one, I saw him in the hoodie and stuff too in a conference. I'm like, well, couldn't you just throw on a suit once just to throw Oz off? I know you don't want to look, you know, disingenuous. But is he soft on crime policy-wise or is that complete bunk? Like is he a farther left, softer on crime? I don't mean softer, but like is he one of these like – Radical reformist or or not? Are they just painting him that way? Is there any truth to that over there?
1: Well, no. I mean, he. he I mean, it, it's very. I mean, he just. It, I. It's hard to explain it, really. I mean, he did. I mean, he did come out like I know you're talking about marijuana, and everything like he. Mm-hmm. Is for legalizing it. Okay. And so obviously, I mean, I don't know if that's part of it. Right. But I mean it's it's really hard to tell i mean they just they're running ads on him it's just i think they're just trying to make that connection i mean i know that there was some kind of campaign issue that oz brought up where he where Fetterman has two people volunteering for him or or whatever that were that were given parole because they were found to be innocent of murder um, right. later on, so they were give, they were granted parole, right. and Fetterman kind of put him on his campaign, and Oz is basically saying he put two convicted killers
0: gotcha. on his campaign.
1: And it's just like, it, it's a optics, yeah, like and it's just a very tepid Fetterman response, it's just sort of, this is what's kind of like shifting the race right. to more of a dead-even race, where, I mean, the governor race here is kind of turn it into a blowout
0: for the Democrat
1: uh, where, yeah, Josh yeah. Shapiro is kind of running away with this race right. now um, to the point where they consider the Republican candidate, Doug Mastriano, um, there is an, or I can't forget, I forget where this article is from, but they call him 2022's worst candidate. Wow. <laughs> so, it's, I mean, it's, that's, I mean, that's just kind of like, so that's kind of reflecting in this governor race and why, in a purple state like Pennsylvania, Shapiro just kind of blew the doors open. But Fetterman still struggles because a lot of these people, I mean, a lot of the Republican Party is trying to salvage this Senate state And they've right. got Rudolph uh, Macriano is right. unelectable and probably is unelectable.
0: Right. Now, let me ask you this. So. So let me just, first of all, just very briefly tell the audience that they don't know. uh, Oz was the, like a a head research he was in charge of research at Columbia University at some point in I think the late 90s to early 2000s, mid 90s to early 2000s. He oversaw research on animals, including dogs, and there was a lot of really bad practices going on in that lab: killing puppies, whole litters of puppies, killing dogs without proper anesthesia, killing dogs with old, you know, uh, 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 medicine that that didn't work properly, that led to unnecessary suffering. There were lawsuits, there were problems, there were complaints. He wasn't alleged to be one of the guys who actually injected them, but he oversaw the whole thing. So it was on his watch that these terrible animal cruelty practices perpetuated. That's the scandal. Sean, if there's anything to add to that, let me know. Um, Because I did read about that the other day because I saw you post about it, so I researched it. Anything I missed there kind of summarizing that?
1: Uh, I think think you basically summed it up perfectly and – I mean, I was, I was appalled by it, honestly, mm-hmm. as, a, mm-hmm. as a Pennsylvania resident. I was appalled
0: by it. Right. I, no, I yeah. agree. It's his watch. He's in charge. If those practices are – it's not just one one doctor or one, you know, bad egg. That was like the culture of the lab was cruelty. That's on him, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. I,
1: I agree, and, and it just makes me wonder, too. And, and kind of getting off politics for a second, it kind of gets me to wonder why did – I mean, I mean, why did Oprah think this was okay? Right. I mean, she basically brought him on as a doctor, as, as like, like her, basically her doctor, on on television, and kind of propelled him up to to, to this career that he's had.
0: Right. Um, in
1: television, <laughs> like, why did I mean? So why did Oprah find this
0: okay? Right.
1: Okay, because I mean, it's just I mean, it it, it, it this story was appalling, and it should hurt. I mean, Dr. Oz. It's just again. It seems like everybody's more interested in the hypocrisy of Herschel Walker and I did have a comment about that in my own commentary about that which I won't get into here yeah
0: go ahead basically
1: they're they I mean they they put Herschel Walker up to the limelight and it just seems like he just I just does what every politician does which is just be a hypocrite right but I don't know, like I, I do think that there should be more here to this Pennsylvania story. But it's getting overshadowed just by another story of hypocrisy by another political candidate. And that kinda right. has been a little bit disgusted this evening and right. in general. But I mean in a way, I mean you did you highlighted the, the scandal pretty well mm-hmm. and why we should care about this. And 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 why you're such a hypocrite and why he's just such a
0: bad candidate right now let me ask you this too sean so you're in pennsylvania you're not only in pennsylvania you're in western pennsylvania you're in the outskirts kind of the exurbs of pittsburgh you got your finger on the pulse i actually when i was driving through looked at uh, erie because you always mention erie is like a bellwether i mean based on your sentiments you had a pretty good beat on things in pennsylvania leading up to the presidential election in 2020 what's your read just from being out and about in kind of a quasi bellwether area of that state on the Senate race I mean what do you even though Fetterman's got the baggage I mean what are you feeling there I know it's a toss-up from your like you know professional standpoint of political action bracken what are you feeling on like that personal social level the, who who has the edge there or does nobody have the edge
1: okay I th- this is Tell I me, mean, I mean, this is how I answer it. Um, mm. Right now, I still believe. Like, I mean, if if we were to hold everything today, I think Betterman wins. Okay. By a couple points, I I do. I I still think. I mean, there is just not, and this is the most bizarre thing, and it's just, and it is showing up in the polls. I think um, USA Today kind of kind of outlined this, or one of the other big pollsters, but the intensity of Dr. Oz just is not here.
0: Gotcha. Right? I mean,
1: I, I just see it. I mean, that is Dr. Oz's big problem. Like even out here, which is kind of a red county, uh, more of a red county, mm-hmm. I mean, I do I just do not see a lot of Dr. Oz um, yard signs out and about. And I've been hearing this from like everybody. Like this is, this is how it is like across the state. Right. So that's not. They have signs, like in conservative areas. They have they have signs for the for the Republican um, governor candidate. But when it comes to Dr. Oz, there's just not a lot of uh, yard signs out gotcha. there. And it kind of is pointing into the direction where, I mean, and that's kind of Oz's problem is that his negatives are so high. He was hurt in the primary. i um, against Dave McCormick, and and the uh, ads they were. Onslaughting against each other, and he just hasn't been able to excite the Republican Party as much as as Doug Mastriano has here. Although on the flip side, Mastriano is turning off a lot of like suburban voters, I think, and is why he's so far behind. But Oz is just not like exciting right. that the, the, the Republican voter here. Where on the flip side is like the Democratic Party kind of just all kind of came around Fetterman, and Fetterman got about seventy percent of the primary vote, so like, think gotcha. he has gotcha. an advantage there. Right. So I think because of that, he has an advantage. But a month from now, with with the way the stories are breaking and everything, how's it gonna look like?
0: Gotcha. Like, that, that's
1: the big. That's the big question. And I think it seems like the momentum right. is on his side, but. He still has a lot of problems, especially with enthusiasm, that he just can't seem to to galvanize the Republican Party
0: right and you know what's interesting is we, we focus so much on the negatives of some of the GOP candidates we forgot we forget some I, I do forget to look at the enthusiasm gaps as far as the enthusiasm for some of the Democrat or the GOP candidates and how that could be factoring in and if and if a Fetterman had 70% of the primary you know that discrepancy could could obviously factor in as well Now, Sean let me ask you because Sean from Georgia posted in the chat he said and I'll see if you agree or disagree with the states that he mentioned um, but he mentioned some specific states. I'm trying to find where he said it. Uh, where is it? He, so he he's basically saying it's like Georgia, Pennsylvania, um, North Carolina, Ohio, and Nevada are the bellwethers. Like that's what we have to watch. But I want to ask you. Where are the incumbents like for each party? Because, like, we know right now it's a dead even 50 50 with Kamala Harris being the, the vote to break it. If everybody holds serve, it remains 50 50. So, even though some of these states are close or toss ups, like, where do are we seeing like the what states are really like in danger of flipping? Where I guess Nevada is because that's Democrat and then. You know, you have who's in Ohio? Who who is that? Is that a Republican or Democrat right now? I know I sounds naive. I just haven't paid attention as much.
1: Uh, Ohio is obviously is represented by Rob Portman, who's a Republican. Right. And 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 again, like it, 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 the candidate that they chose for the Senate race there is just not the best. And I mean, I don't know if he's the worst, but he's not really good because he seems to be really he's not really doing a lot of campaigning from my understanding just based off of the little bit of ohio news i get from here like he's just not out there a lot and it just seems like like a lot of republicans are getting frustrated out out in ohio just based off of his campaigning and i i am I am keeping a very close eye on Ohio, and I'm also keeping a very close eye on North Carolina, which, um, I, if the name escapes me, of, who, of who's, who's the incumbent retiring there, I wanted to say it was Burr, mm-hmm. but I could be wrong about that. Okay. Um, but I'm keeping an eye on both of those races, because these are both open, basically open seats, because of the, the retired incumbent. and. And
0: right, and these
1: races look very, very compound. I'm very, I'm actually very shocked that, that they're as competitive as they are. And I, and in Ohio, I obviously attribute that to a poor candidate, right? JD Vance, he wrote that controversial book. Um, Hillbilly yes, yes, and it just seems like a lot of, I mean, if, if I was in Ohio, I'd be kind of turned off by the book, right. And, in all honesty, and then just his campaigning, he just seems to be kind of lazy out there and and I think a lot of Republicans are thinking he's taking this for granted and he thinks um, Mike DeWine will probably carry him across the finish line, but I mean, I wouldn't bet on that all completely just because I mean, you have Tim Ryan on the other side, and if he can basically do about as well as Sherrod Brown does in Ohio with that
0: Right. Northern
1: Ohio. Yes. But, which kind of flipped Republican in recent years. If Tim Ryan could get those voters back, then JD Vance might not be assured of victory. Right. Um, although I I although I still have it at the lame Republican state, um, just because of how far like Republican it has shifted since 2016. But I mean, that, that, that is a state to watch just because of JD Vance just not running a really good race. Right. North Carolina. I mean, it's really hard to tell. I mean, I do think the Democrats field is a good candidate there. Um, and Sherry Beasley, I think she's a very good candidate. Uh-huh. Um, probably, probably the best candidate for 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 the for the for this environment. Um, again, I heard her her, her um, obviously opportunity will be if she can galvanize. The African-american vote since she was since she's African American right. on the uh, state Supreme Court there so she can galvanize basically her troops in in Charlotte and also get the research triangle around Raleigh like she could possibly win it um, I mean keep in mind that the last time um, that Senate race there was was a scandal. Uh, right. the, the Democratic candidate was scandal-driven, or had a lot of scandals, and ultimately could be why it flipped for, for state Republicans. So Beasley so far hasn't had many scandals break out. So, I mean, if, if this atmosphere gets a little bit more Democratic, then right. she, she could win this. So she can galvanize basically our troops in Charlotte and, and again, in the Research Triangle— and like even like the the universities of Duke in North Carolina, so I mean she could potentially win this thing. Um, again, though, I'd have that as also a lean Republican state. Okay, right. Um, but it's it, it's a lot closer than I thought it was going to be. That's that's for that's for
0: sure. Makes sense. And now, like Sean's in here talk, like you know, putting out there like certain states and stuff. I, I will join you guys in the conference call one of these Sundays. I just always got so much going on. I will join you guys because I'm fascinated by all this and I want to be more informed too. But let so so, are, if it holds serve, it's it's Democrat, right? So what are where are Democrats most vulnerable? Is it Nevada and Georgia? Is that what we're really looking at for them to lose a seat?
1: Yeah, that that would be what I'd say. But again, uh, Nevada for sure. I, I kind of have a circle around that state for the Democrats. I think they're, I think they are in some trouble there. Although, I mean, again, I mean, CNN has it as a two-point race, which is margin of error, mm-hmm. and the Democrats are usually undersampled in the state. So I, so I kind of factor it in, and I think it's basically tied up.
0: Yeah, Sean, and
1: it, and it do you really re- could be. <laughs> I mean, it, it it could be a long night in Nevada. Right. I would say, um, Georgia, though. I mean, again, I mean, I do think it's close, but I mean, I think this scandal could change. Like, I could think about. I'm thinking about changing Georgia's characterization just based off of the scandal because it has really kind of rocked the media hard, and 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 there's a. Like, the Poland lately has started to shift towards Warnock, and it was shifting towards Warnock before that mm-hmm. um, scandal breaks. So, I mean, again, you'd have to be feeling very good if you're Warnock.
0: So let, in, yeah,
1: and
0: so, have to. so so if Warnock's feeling really good, and I even read an article the other day about how Nevada, all these you know Latino voters are are really resonating more, especially working class Latinos with the Republican Party, and we can get into that on a separate you know show or or on your channel, we can talk about that because I'm fascinated by that whole thing. But I remember in 2020 there was a lot of hype about the Hispanic community in Nevada too, and then Nevada turned out to to pretty much go Biden. I mean, it was a long night, but I I don't remember the margin, but I thought it was more comfortable than we would have been led to believe. So if I'm looking at this thing and I'm trying to conceptualize it just very much like layman's terms, I'm thinking that if Pennsylvania is leaning Democrat, that's a flip Democrat. And then if they, yeah, and if, then if they're good in the, you know, if Nevada's a toss-up but they're underrepresented, and the and the Georgia race is shifting significantly, Warnock, are we looking at you know prediction as of October six, like the Democrats might pick up a seat? Am I wrong?
1: It's very possible that they could pick up a seat, and obviously Pennsylvania would be that seat. I mean, if they can hold on to to Nevada, and again. They, they seem to be always underrepresented there. Um, I forget what the polling finished at in regards to the presidential. Me race too. In Me too. Um, there were a couple that had like Trump up by a point or or whatever the case. I remember. May be yeah. Biden plus two. I think it ended up being. So I, I usually give like like I said. I usually give the Democrats about two points in Nevada. Um, more favorable based off of the polls. so with that in mind that's why it's such a i mean it's basically a tie like a draw um i mean we'll have to see though i mean we'll have to see like if 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 the hispanics do start to like if the republicans start to make inroads in that block of voters but i mean i mean it's, it's very possible we could be looking at a pickup of one i mean especially as georgia gets better um, if Pennsylvania stays blue, which would be a flip, um, that would be, obviously, in that kind of a seat, a seat, excuse me, as long as they can hold on to Nevada. But even if they lost Nevada, Democrats still control the Senate with 50.
0: Right, so they, um, if, if assuming... Pennsylvania. Right, assuming Pennsylvania holds serve, they can they, lose either or Georgia or Nevada, they just can't lose both. And they are both close, so I get it, but the way it's looking, Pennsylvania is like the fallback if they lose one of those. This is really shaping up to be interesting, right. Sean. This is this is interesting. What do you – Yeah, I mean, close. Yeah, and what do you look at so, – So what is your prediction as of today? And you'll change – You'll be on the next show I think I'm doing in two weeks unless – It'll be two weeks or around two weeks, depending on my scheduling. But you'll be back on if you're available, because we're just going to keep it up. Now we only have a few weeks till the election, so you'll be you'll just be back on. Um, but but as of now, what do you what's your read on the Senate? What, what's your prediction? Who who what happens?
1: Well, I would say after the stuff about Warnock or not Warnock Walker broke, I'd say that that. I mean, again, Nevada's like the one I can't really predict right now because I do think it's like tied up. Right. Um, so I think worst case for the Democrats is 50-50. And okay. I'm probably going to stay with 50-50. I think Georgia will stay Warnock. I still think right now, I mean, if, if, if it was held today, um, Betterman Does win Pennsylvania again? Ask me two weeks from now. Well,
0: we I will. (laughs) Don't worry. You're gonna have in two weeks. You're gonna be able to change your prediction. So don't worry. I'm just asking you as of today.
1: Right. Yeah. So I'm just using this as kind of like a now parameter. Yes. Um, Betterman wins now. I mean, again, two weeks. I mean, we'll I'll be back on and I'll Mm -hmm. tell you what's happened. Um, But right now, I mean, that's how I would see that. And again, like Warnock, I think. The holds georgia i think warnock's in pretty good shape on um, the whole georgia now after this scandal broke i mean we'll see a month from now if it stays the same but i mean i mean right now it's looking good for for warnock and nevada's like the only one i can't really predict um right. so like that's why i'm kind of saying it's 50 50 just because like it it might tilt republican if, if the polls are a little bit more republican um but right now it's kind of like within that tie barometer, so like I kind of rate that as kind of a tie, but it could be, I mean, it, it's very possible that the Democrats pick up a seat. And Interesting. again, like I am keeping an eye as well in Ohio and North Carolina because right. they're a lot tighter than they should be right. as of now, but and, and the fundraising too um, by Paul Ryan was kind of astonishing, $17 million. So he's wow. going to be able to run a lot of TV ads and spend a lot of money basically on mobilization efforts. So I mean he is I mean I mean he definitely I mean is probably the perfect candidate to pull out a seat if 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 there should be like a, a surprise. Right. I, I would say Ohio could be your surprise. Right. I mean, especially with the way JD Vance is campaigning there. I mean that could be like a surprise, but I mean I'd still rank it as Republican, though. Gotcha. But it's, it's pretty 50-50. Uh, I'll, I'll go
0: with that all right, very interesting for now what now I know the House has so many seats, so many of us are focused on the Senate because they control you know the judgeships and and the you know the ratification of treaties and 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 nominations, but what are we looking at the house i mean and, and I'm you know don't go you don't have to go so in depth because we're running low long time anyway, but general overlook of the house is that flipping i mean is it is it close what what are we looking at in the house the
1: house is close um I don't think it's going to be a red wave, uh, just based off of of the generic ballot. Um, The thing thing about the House or the Watches, tomorrow there's going to be a big event and it's going to be our jobs number. Um, I am going to be curious to see, because I I do think with a lot of these house raises, that could tie more into the President's um, job approval numbers. And if if we get a good jobs report tomorrow, um, then then yeah, that could help the Democrats. If we don't, that could help the Republicans. I mean, there is some negative inflation data that, that's come out in the last couple of weeks that, that have kind of shifted the generic ballot back to the Republicans. But again, by only by like a, a fraction of a point. it's not even a point. Um, so my guess is right now, uh, the Republicans will win the House. Uh, they will win it by about I, I, I mean, I'll, I'm saying like a range from 10 to 20. Um, I okay. think 20 at very most, I think it's going to be more like 10 to 15. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just kind of like my overall prediction about that. I do think that the Republicans, I mean, and you spoke about it too with the other issue of gerrymandering. Yes. And I think that alone should help right. the Republicans pick up their necessary seats. And they only need like five or six seats to to win the house. So like they if they can't get five or six seats um, netted, then they're in big trouble. Right. I, I, I think the Republicans then would be in big trouble. And then they'll really have to take a look right at, at some of these hard positions they're taking and 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 the court might the, the six um, justices on the court that 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 are pushing the the country too far to the right might have to think about if they really want their preferred party in charge or not.
0: Right. No, it makes sense. And I think, you know, if if Democrats and Biden have anything left on their agenda, I, I just read actually that McConnell and Schumer back the electoral count bill, which will prevent the type of nonsense Trump tied to poll with the uh, electoral college votes. They'll push that through. But I think based on what you're saying now, unless something drastically changes, we might be looking at either a Republican Congress or more likely as of today a Democrat Senate by a thin hair and a in a Republican House by a thin hair, and, and he'll be more thwarted, and he'll kind of have to hold water for two years and see what, what transpires on the Republican side as far as who they nominate, because he's not going to be able to get as much done. He's got a lot done, in my opinion, but it might not be so easy after this calendar year, it looks like. So, um, right. That, yeah. The House looks like it's going Republican, even if it's not by as much as they want. It looks like it's kind of inevitable. I mean, right...
1: Yeah, it, it, it. I think it's inevitable. Um, mm-hmm. Again, just just based off of the president's approval ratings, and again, just some of the maps that are drawn. I mean, it's probably inevitable they take it. Right. Um, it's just. I mean, they're. I mean, they might find themselves disappointed with how many they they actually pick on. Right. And then, then they'll just, they have they'll have to get. I mean. I mean, I would suggest that they go back to the drawing board, and and. And, and and look at themselves in the mirror and and try to maybe not go too too far to the right and turn off like as many veterans as they're turning off that might cost them some seats.
0: makes sense so sean we we went on a while and i really appreciate your input it was it was awesome it was actually absolutely fascinating I'll get back to you about an actual date, but it should be either the Thursday or Friday, two weeks from now. I want to have you back on just leading up to the election so that we can just, you know, continue to uh, discuss this stuff. Um, hopefully you'll come back on with me. I think the listeners get a lot from it. It The, the, the listeners went up when you came on, which is always a good thing. Um, so I really, really appreciate you taking all this time to sit with us in the audience and explain this stuff to me and them and just kind of break it down. It's very helpful. I know uh, Sean from Georgia helps you, uh, you know, too, on the Sundays and stuff. I want to join you guys soon. We'll talk. But anything else you want to say before we uh, sign off for tonight? Uh,
1: not really. Like I said, I mean, I, the only thing I'd say is watch the job, job numbers tomorrow because I think that could be the next political um, sign, um, especially when it, in regards to the approval ratings and that could affect everything. Um, but other than that I mean it's, like I said I'll just keep paying attention to the races and, and obviously just keep checking back in my political page for the Co-Action Bracken yeah go and, ahead and plug my YouTube page. Yeah, yeah Sean
0: go ahead and plug everything you're doing actually tell them where they can find you what you're doing and I'll post the links too but and then you post the links on the Logic and Larry discussion page too but tell them where they can find you and what type of content people can expect when they go on your page
1: uh, yep, yeah, for I'm um, sure. Um, yeah, so yeah. Um, on Facebook it would be Political Action Bracken, obviously. Um, just just type that in. It's all one word, I believe. And then and then for the YouTube channel, it's the same thing. Political Action Bracken. I will post the links up, down uh, on the in your comments and and whatnot. But feel free to go and check them out. I'll, uh, my YouTube channel ain't too active yet, although I'm trying to. Get that more active i have a lot of videos planned it's just getting the time to do them obviously but i will try to work on some of those in the next couple of days i have a weekend off so i'll try to post some content on there and then you can get some of the latest election news there um, or, or at least my take of it and there and then also on political action Brock and the facebook page as well i i try to post stuff more regularly there so check those two places out and i'll plug them for your listeners and 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 just kind of stay tuned there um that would be kind of like my final thing to kind of like to kind of like say tonight other than just watch the jobs numbers tomorrow
0: so yeah and what we'll do sean if you don't mind if you would post the links, and I already have the links, but if you post them just to make my life easier on my page and on the Logic and Larry discussion page, I'll re-share them and then if you, you know, say anything about the jobs numbers and other other things between now and 2 weeks from now, they'll be able to access that. I'll make sure I re-share it so that everybody could follow what you're talking about before you come back on in 2 weeks just because you have a lot of valuable news that I think they'd be interested in, you know, all the time. So, I'll make sure I plug it if you plug it there too. <laughs>
1: Yep, I, I will do that. I'll, I'll
0: work on that. Awesome. Right now. All right, Sean. Awesome. We will talk to you soon, my brother. Thank you so much again for the contributions. Looking forward to sharing your stuff on the pages tonight and tomorrow. Looking forward to sharing this with the recorded listeners. And we will see you in two weeks, brother. We're gonna We're going to gear up for this election, and we're excited about it. All right.
1: Sounds good, Larry. Thank you for having me on
0: tonight. All right. Later, Sean. All right. Have a
1: good one.
0: So another uh, interesting broadcast. Another a lot of good insight from Sean. It's always that way. Um, it's always that way, and it's it's always a good thing. Um, if anybody wants to have one more final thought, even though I'm I'm tired now, anybody wants to have one more final thought, I'll take one more call just for a brief you know five minute call. If you want to call to discuss anything we discussed tonight, um, if not, I'm gonna I'm gonna sign off in a few minutes. Um, but, you know, look, I love being back on the live show. You guys know what we do on the show. You know we talk about objectivity. You know we stay intellectually honest. You know what we do, what we do. The number, by the way, if you want to call real quick, is 973 536 2580. 973 536 2580. If not, look, just another great show, getting the insight in there. He- seeing you guys, talking to you guys, getting things off my chest is always a a positive it's always a positive and you see sean just posted his link in the in the chat go ahead and click that i'm gonna retweet repost whatever you want to call it his pages because there's a lot of great political info on political action Bracken bracken's pages a lot of great info uh, all the way around and you can follow the developments in these races and you can follow the pertinent Uh, news stories and other things that impact these races through Sean and his other page in the meantime while you're waiting for another edition, another episode of Logic and Larry. We're at 60 episodes, guys, so... I can't wait for the day we get to 100. We're going to have to do something special. I don't know what we're going to do. Maybe we have to do a roundtable of all the guests kind of come on. Maybe I can do that here, maybe even a video edition, you know, of everybody on the screen at once talking about things or our memories of different episodes or our memories of the pandemic or something. We will have to do it at some point, but we're a while away from that, maybe a year away from that at least. Um, But nonetheless, uh, another great episode. You know, it's great being with you guys. It's great being here live. I know I apologize. Sometimes I got to do the pre-recorded shows just because, you know, I'm tied up with life. Life is crazy. Life is hectic. But I will always make time to come on here, as I always say. And I'll always find time to be with you guys, spend some time with you, and discuss the things that go on. Uh, Anything you want me to talk about, by the way. So in two weeks, we'll do another show. And I'm actually going to put a poll up. So make sure you vote. I'm going to put a poll up Thursdays or Fridays. Because I see a lot of people like celebrating when it's Thursday, and a lot of people celebrating when it's Friday. People have different reasons for different days. I'm gonna put a poll up. You know, is it gonna be Thursdays every other Thursday, or is it gonna be every other Friday? I, I don't care either way. I'm gonna ask you guys, see what you guys think. I'm curious. Either way, this thing will be going on every two weeks as we've been going, unless something crazy happens and I'll do a special edition. But it's just great to be live. It's great for you guys you know, to have you guys joining me. I really appreciate the support. I support I appreciate you guys joining me. I appreciate you guys taking this show when it's recorded and it's released and sharing it. And, and letting other people hear what we do. It's always great to get more and more people involved. We got a lot more listeners towards the end of the show, which is awesome. And I'm sure plenty of people are going to listen to the show on the recorded version. They always do. Uh, I will talk to you guys in two weeks. Let's hope nothing too crazy happens in the news. Let's hope it's all positive. And until then, I will speak to you later. Larry K., Logic and Larry, signing out. Good night, everybody.